And welcome back, folks, to Make My Multiversity a Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory. And so this is our second episode of the month of February. We're going to be talking a little bit about the uh, next biggest, biggest movie that has come out for Marvel. Black Panther came out last week. Uh, before we get to that, we're going to touch on a little bit. You know, we we thought that's that's just what this show was going to be. We thought we were going to spend a lot of time doing Black Panther. And then Marvel had to go and announce a whole nother freaking relaunch at the beginning of this week. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. We're hoping as we move forward with Make My Multiversity that we will get to a place where we have shows twice a month. And so this is our first effort in bringing you two times of my voice, whether you're in your car, on your treadmill, walking your dog, holding your baby, wherever else, family court. Uh, we're glad you're here. I'm uh, joined today by Nick Palmieri, who's been on the show a number of times. It's just Nick and I today. Nick, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Hey, everyone. All righty. If you're coming to us from Apple Podcasts, from iTunes, please go ahead and subscribe. Tell all your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma. Uh, we're here, baby. If you're coming to us from multiversitycomics.com, we hope that you check out a number of the other great podcasts and other great comic content that is on our site. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into some news. So Marvel released a video on, was that yes? Was that yesterday on Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. It was just yesterday. Okay. All right. Uh, detailing, not really detailing, announcing their next biggest relaunch that they they have dubbed. And I don't know if this is going to be the tagline for it, but it's their fresh start. And it was a video uh, that CB Sabolsky, a.k.a. Kiryoshida, had a lot of FaceTime in. He's talking some things about the future of Marvel Comics. Had some great Jim Chung uh, promotional art. Uh, and by the time this episode comes out on Friday... Uh, we'll know a little bit more because Marvel solicits come out tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, so we should have some more details, but they, they've announced a, a handful of creative teams, but, but Nick, I just, I just want to, this is this relaunch is coming out starting in May, 2018. Should have said that first, uh, starting eight months after Marvel legacy number one in October or the end of September, I guess. Um, what the hell? Like when is, <laughs> when is enough enough? Yeah. Um, first off, when I started watching the video, every time I see CB Sabolsky, yes, CB Sabolsky's face, I just think Akira Yoshida. I you can't it's not completely do that involuntary this by this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that was all I could think about for the whole minute, so I had to rewatch it, and then I realized <laughs> that there was nothing else to really pay attention to. Right. Uh, um. Yeah. It's. It, I think everybody's agreed at this point. Like this. Enough is enough. Um, Legacy was nothing. Yeah. And everybody realized it as it started happening. Like, I remember going to the comic shop a month after all the Legacy titles started, and I was just bombarded with, like, 50 different titles, and none of them were, or very few of them were actual, like, real jumping on points. Right. Um, So it makes sense that this new... uh, the new relaunch is called a fresh start because maybe, maybe the goal really will be to actually shuffle the deck and really present something that's that people can actually jump in on. Um, and I, I don't, 
necessarily blame Marvel for this relaunch, but I mean, looking at it in terms of how many there have been recently, everybody's done. Everybody's done with it. So I don't know if it'll be successful, but then again, we don't know really anything about it yet. That's that's true too. That's true too. Yeah, I looked up right before we started recording the show. So the first of these, I guess, seasonal relaunches for Marvel started in 2012, and that's when Marvel Now started, and um, that was like the Hickman Avengers era, and they kept going. And then in in 2014, they had another relaunch, and it was all new Marvel Now. And I don't think they started over every title with new number ones. Then, like there were some titles that were canceled and relaunched, but uh, like there were some titles that kept going. And then there was Avengers Now in 2015, where they launched a number of titles and canceled a number of titles. And then at the end of Secret Wars, which uh, I guess took place like right at the, well, they they started the all new different, all new, all different Marvel Now, I think in October in the fall of 2015, because uh, Secret Wars didn't wrap up until the end of January because it was it was late. Uh, that was so that was all new, all different. And then they relaunched again at the end of Civil War II. That was Marvel Now 2.0. And then Legacy started in October. So over the course of the last six years, they've relaunched. This will be the seventh, the seventh relaunch in six years, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I feel like Marvel, and I said this last podcast, but I, I really feel like Marvel has a solid stable of creators. And I feel like, they're putting out a really a nice number of very good books. And I feel like across the board, their quality is comparable to other comic companies. It's just, they can't figure out how to market it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's the biggest thing. And because of that, because they can't figure that out, they end up trying these, like these relaunches and it ends up driving people away. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you're, I think you're absolutely right there on the on the branding aspect of they can't they can't figure out how to exactly do everything they want to do and sell it the way that they want to sell it. Um, it's this is go ahead. Yeah, it's it's just weird to think that they're owned by Disney, who is like the number one king of marketing in today's society. Sure. Like the only reason Disney is as as successful as it is is because they're able to market everything like to the extreme so i don't know why they can't just figure it out with marvel right right yeah i so part of me part of me wants to be wants to be really hopeful for this uh for this fresh start because this is this is like the first real instance i think of 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 sobolski excuse me taking the reins uh for the company and really going forward this seems like exactly you know his vision for what is going to be happening at least i guess it kind of feels like that at least and he was you know because he was in the video and um like this feels this feels new and part of me thinks that this is this is finally going to be marvel's marvel's answer to rebirth uh, and many people thought like that's what legacy was going to be with the relaunch or with the well yeah with with the relaunch but also because they had that one shot like dc's rebirth did and like it was being compared to that and it wasn't um so like I I feel like yeah this is Sobolski saying enough is enough here's where we're going to go going forward. And that's kind of exciting to me at least. Yeah, I think if they have enough uh if the majority of series are restarting uh with new creative teams, I think 
they can actually put out the change that they wanted as opposed to try and graft the illusion of change onto the things that everybody could tell weren't actually changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think too, like I was realizing this yesterday when, uh, when they announced this thing and they announced, so we, so we know, we know four titles that are definitely coming out in May um, um, and the creative teams of them. And we don't know, we don't know a whole lot else going forward. We know that Avengers is launching with a new number one uh, written by Jason Aaron, illustrated by Ed McGinnis. Uh, Jason Aaron's the, the guy who wrote Marvel Legacy number one. And this series is look, looks like it's going to be uh, following up a lot on the uh, 1000 BC Avengers stuff. Like he, they described it a lot like what he's been doing or what he had been doing on, on Thor God of Thunder when it was uh, part of the series was flashback and part of the series was present day stuff. Um, so again, like this, this relaunch is predicated on, on legacy and on everything that they did in legacy. So we know that, and we know that the venom is definitely relaunching and it's going to be written by Donnie Cates. Who's done a lot of great work in the legacy era and his first era of being at Marvel uh, on Dr. Strange and on Thanos. And then uh, the Dr. Strange damnation, Doctor Strange Tar Nation <laughs> miniseries uh, came out this week, and it's it's pretty good. I read it. Um, written by Gotti Cates, illustrated by Ryan Stegman. Uh, Stegman, great, great Spider-Man artist. Like done a lot of good work at Marvel. Like that's a strong creative team. I don't give two shits about Venom, but like mm-hmm. I would maybe read that book. Yeah, Donny Cates. Uh, when I think of his work, I think of I mean I think of the stuff that came out last year, God Country and uh, Baby Teeth. Um, and with both of those, he combined some really like deeply personal, uh, like drama issues. Uh, you know, like one of them was about an old man with Alzheimer's. Uh, and then the other one was about a woman who had just had a newborn baby, but then each of them had this over the top, uh, sort of fantasy twist. Um, like the baby was actually the antichrist, I think. And then, I didn't read uh, Baby Teeth. But then uh, God Country, like this mystical sword falls out of the sky and suddenly the guy, his Alzheimer's is cured and he's, as long as he's touching the sword. So I'm not totally sure what he can do with Venom, but I'm really curious what he can do. And I feel like the symbiote can be sort of like what the sword was in God Country. And yeah, I'm not sure what personal human issue would go along with that. But I'm sure that he he'll be able to find one. Yeah, yeah. Well, in his in his interview too, like described him getting Venom as like his dream job at Marvel, and like this is what he's always wanted to write. So yeah, like I I didn't even think about uh, the whole the whole symbiote being similar to the the Sword in God Country. God Country, great miniseries. If you haven't read it yet, totally should. Um, yeah, like it can be it can be deeply personal, and it sounds like t- too like he he has written a lot of a lot of horror comics in the in the indie realm, and when he was describing Venom in in interviews uh, or in the press release crap yesterday, like it said it was definitely going to take on a horror vibe, and so like I think those are, it's playing to his strengths. Like these are things that he can definitely do well. Um, like and it's also it's Venom's thirtieth anniversary this year, and like they've been doing a lot of promotional stuff for Venom, so. This is this is right in that vein of of all that. So like, yeah, this is this is exciting. Um, the and and going back to the Avengers, or unless you have a comment on. No, yeah, I just want to throw in really quick. Um, I so I've I've really been digging into Marvel over the last year or two, but um, 
I still am very unfamiliar with most of the artists, especially their very current stable of artists. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, artists change, I think, a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you haven't been like really reading all their comics over the last few years, um, a lot of the names are foreign. Yeah. So yeah, all of the of the stuff that's been announced, I think the only artist that I actually know is Ed McInnes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Stegman did... Uh... I think he was the main artist on on Superior Spider-Man with Slot, okay. and I think he did some Amazing Spider-Man with Slot before then. Um, and he illustrated part of the Amazing Spider-Man Venom crossover that recently was just coming out. Uh, I think he's. I think a lot of or most of the work that he's done at Marvel, at least like the recent work, has been in the in the Spidey realm. Uh, so yeah, so this is right up his his alley. I don't again, yeah. My my Marvel knowledge is uh, only like slightly deeper than than yours is, um, and hopefully hopefully that's something we can change with with this podcast a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Ed, Ed McGinnis is like a a Marvel Marvel stable kind of guy, right? Um, I guess I'm familiar with him because of his Superman Batman work with Jeff, uh, Jeff Loeb. Oh yeah yeah okay. Um, I think he was one of the artists on the the Deadpool Spider-Man series that came out with Marvel 2.0. Okay. Uh, I really, I think he's done some other, oh, go ahead. Yeah. He's, he's just a very cool, <laughs> he's a, he's different from their house style. He, uh, you know, he has a very animated style and I like that. And it's going to be cool to see that on Avengers because how, <clears throat> how often do you get that on Avengers? It's, Avengers is usually the like big epic stuff and you usually have those sorts of artists on that title. So it's going to be a cool change mm-hmm. of pace, I think. No. Yeah. Like it's definitely, I was looking at the the teaser image that they released and it's a lot more, it's a lot more like cartoony, I guess, than I, uh, than I remember than like I think about when I think about like the Marvel house style. So I definitely, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be different. Like, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really cool. And I think the lineup for that series, like it's like, it's almost like it's it's all of Marvel's big names mm-hmm. plus Robbie Reyes's Ghost Rider. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like it's it's Iron Man, like it's Tony Stark, it's Thor, like Odin's son, um, it's Cap, it's Captain Marvel, Black Panther, uh, the whole uh, She Hulk. Yeah, that's right. And then um, and I think Robbie Reyes, and I think that's the that's the lineup. And so yeah, it's like kind of their oh, and Doctor Strange. Uh, it's like they're big, they're big money grabbers. And again, all of those characters are characters that have minus she Hulk have appeared in like in the Marvel cinematic universe Mm -hmm. and have a lot of stuff going on. And like, this is, I guess with infinity war also coming out in may, these are all characters that are going to appear on the big screen. So like it's synergistic, but in like a way that makes sense, I guess, like, I think I've been uh, critical and, and hypercritical on this podcast too, about some of the ways that the Marvel cinematic universe has influenced Mar- Marvel's comic line. And then like, and then symbiotically, like, like that whole cyclical relationship. Like I hate a lot of it because I don't want my movies to be just like my comics. I don't want my comics to be just like my movies. I imagine them as two separate universes, but I think having an Avengers title with your biggest writer and one of your biggest artists with all your biggest characters makes a lot of sense. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. Ed McInnes, he he reminds me of um, 
what sort of became the Marvel house style in the very late nineties, maybe early, early two thousands. Um, like the sort of Joe Quesada, um, Mark Buckingham, that type okay. of style. Are you familiar with those artists? Uh, a, a little bit, a little bit. I, okay. my, my goal this year was to read a lot of back issue Marvel Unlimited stuff, and I have failed miserably. <laughs> uh, and it's only February. I guess that was part of my goal for 2017, and I guess I just assumed that we were still in that year. I don't even know what day it is. Um, but uh, Wednesday. Grad school came Friday. out today. Wednesday? Oh, good. <laughs> That's how I Holy keep track. shit. Yeah, that's how I tell time is by Wednesdays. Yeah. Uh, what a horrible thing. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, okay, so we know these, those two. And we know uh, definitely that Ta-Nehisi Coates is staying on Black Panther. And Black Panther is getting a number one in May uh, by Coates and, and Daniel Acuna, who uh, was most recently did some Secret Empire stuff. And then the Captain America... Uh, Sam Wilson series with Nick Spencer. Uh, and we kind of known that that was getting a number one. I realized today because uh, Coates had been interviewed by ABC before the Black Panther movie came out and he like let slip that Black Panther was getting a new number one. Um, so I guess we sort of knew this, but that's the, that's again, another piece that's followed up directly on the legacy stuff because it's the, the arc is the, the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. So again, all stuff that stuff that was predicated on Marvel Legacy number one, basically uh, the, the stuff that should have happened in Legacy. Exactly, exactly. No, definitely the like the event the the Avengers title and the Black Panther title, both of these specifically feel like things that should have happened in Legacy, and and I feel like that's what a lot of these titles are going to feel like. But I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be fresh and it's gonna be. It's going to be, I think it's going to feel new, I guess, in some ways. And it's going to feel like a continuation, but I think it's going to, I think it's going to all sit better. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, Cause it, like, again, like they have to follow up on all that stuff from legacy. It's set up a lot of great things. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad that they're keeping Ta-Nehisi Coates on Black Panther. I think everybody's glad. <laughs> I, yeah, there are very few people who uh, I think have had a problem with that run. I think, Mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally, I really liked the first 12 issues. Um, I thought... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I thought you could tell that he was still sort of adapting to the medium. Um, but I haven't read any arcs since then. Uh, when I started... I, I read the first, I think, issue or two after his initial, initial 12-issue uh, story. And I felt like I felt like maybe he, he had initially only planned out those first 12. And then... I don't know. I just felt like it was a little wonky, uh, but I'm sure that once he gets that story like fully in swing, which I'm sure he has by now, I just haven't read it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that his skills have like just over those first 12 issues, his skills imp- have improved. So I'm sure basically what I'm saying is I'm sure that his run is even better than it was before. And I, uh, I want to catch up so that I can, uh jump on with this new number one yeah i will say the the this whole second second year arc the like the avengers of the new world um it hasn't been as good as as the as the the first 12 issues um which i thought were i thought were great and i and i bought like the like the hard the fancy hardcover for it um 
Yeah. Ooh. I, cause I, I loved it. And I love, like, I love Coates, Coates's writing in other mediums as well. Like I've read between the world and me. I haven't read, we were eight years in power yet, but it's on my, my reading list of things to do. And I, I've read some of his articles like from the Atlantic and mm-hmm. from other places. And like, I'm in graduate school and like, you know, read some like his feud between like Cornell West, uh, who's another uh, famous academic philosopher person. Um, like, I just think he's, I just think he's brilliant. And I, I love that, uh, that center, that, that synergy or that like symbiotic relationship between like the Academy and the philosophy and the, like the stories and the narratives and all that stuff. And I think, I think he embodies that. I will say that his, the other mini series that he's done, like the world of Wakanda and the, um, the black Panther and the crew stuff. Like, I think those definitely showed how, how far he's come in being able to tell stories in this medium really? more so than what's black, what black Panther's been done, uh, in legacy. Interesting. Yeah. 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 What, black Panther. Oh, go ahead. Um, I, I really, I wasn't a fan of world of Wakanda. Um, it was okay. also scripted and I think mostly plotted by Roxanne Gay. And I feel like That's she true. was coming in completely fresh. And I felt like you could really, mm-hmm. really tell that she would just wasn't used to writing comics at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe less so world of Wakanda, but Black Panther and the crew made my, I think my list of best miniseries of 2017. Cool. Yeah. I haven't read mm-hmm. that. It was cute. And I, I haven't read the, 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 I could think only the first two issues are out right now of the, the rise of the black Panther, the like six issue kind of year one <laughs> story that um, him and Evan Nar Narcisse Narciss. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, yeah. Are writing, but I'm sure it's also good as well. Uh, yeah, no, like I think I think Coat staying on Black Panther is is a great move, um, and I think when we get to the second part of the episode and are talking about the film, like I think there's a lot of things that like that Coates did in that first year that like you can you can see a lot of that in in the movie, I guess, and I'm sure, and again, a lot of it I'm sure is based on like Crystal Priest's run as well, and like other uh, other good Black Panther runs, but uh, like and and like in the Hickman stuff and like just the the treatment that wakanda's had but like there was a lot of the like the philosophy i think in in the black in the movie which we'll get to mm-hmm. yeah but i think we'll see i think you know by the time that this this episode comes out we'll have a little bit better idea of what's coming from from marvel and uh and we'll go from there as we go into the summer uh cool well, we're gonna take a quick break we'll come back after the break and talk talk black panther hello we're the hosts of the multiversity manga club podcast i'm emily i'm zach and i'm walter each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves past books include monster a silent voice and pokemon adventures we also look back on the past month's installments of weekly shonen jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back, folks. Hello. Uh, Hello, 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 hello. Uh, for the second half of the show, we're talking a little bit about a little bit about Black Panther. 
uh, Marvel's uh, newest uh, cinematic universe movie came out last week on February 16th uh, and has already broke a ton of records uh, over the course of just a week. It had, I think, the the fifth biggest uh, weekend for a for a domestic release movie. I think is that right? I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, something like that. I know that it uh, it like had that. the best Monday ever, and it had the second best four day opening ever. Is that what you asked? Yeah, all yeah. those are good. All those are good facts. Yeah, I think it was the second best after Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's how. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, like this movie. This movie is on fire. Like the critics love it. Everyone loves it, apparently, except for the alt right people. <laughs> um, but that's all right, because uh, screw them. But anyway, uh, yeah, this this movie's been a hit, and I think it it really shows. Um, how far the Marvel Cinematic Universe has come over the course of, of now 10 years um, to, to just get to this point where not that, not that Black Panther is a character that, it, that is unfamiliar to people, I guess, or not like kind of on the not very popular side or whatever. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Uh, so Black Panther is created by, by Stanley and Jack Kirby, uh, debuted in 1966 in Fantastic Four and is the, the first mainstream superhero of African descent in comics. Uh, the Falcon, Sam Wilson, would follow in 1969. Luke Cage was created in 1972. And then DC's Green Lantern, John Stewart, was created in 1971. So, so this is a big deal. So not only do we have one of the... I guess like a big, a big debut for, a, uh, for an African-American superhero uh, movie lead movie um but just like this this beautiful marrying of just like the celebration of of africanness i guess um and now people people have been saying like this is the first this is the first black superhero movie ever and that's and that's false because you know because blade came out in the early 2000s the blade trilogy led by wesley snipes um but this i think is the first time that that something like this has happened where this this uh the celebration of blackness and the celebration of um, uh, black superheroes in the mainstream has, has been a big deal. So we're going to dive in a little bit as people who can probably not fully understand everything that's going on, but we're going to try our darndest talk about it from the, the comics point of view. So Nick, what were some of your initial thoughts about, about black Panther? You saw it, I guess yesterday as I, as yeah. I did. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah. So I loved it. Um, Easily, um, should I just like go all in? Just go all in, um, man. Go all in. All right, I'll go all in. Um, it, it was okay. I think a lot of people are saying like, "Oh, it really, it really broke the the um, the mold for from Iron Man." Uh, and I actually pretty much agree with that. Um, I think I mean Guardians of the Galaxy definitely broke the mold in its own way, uh, but I think that this again, in completely its own way, uh, did something very different from other Marvel movies. Um, I haven't been a fan of the majority of the recent Marvel movies. Um, so this one, it was, it was just really great to, 
to love it so much. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason it was so different was because it just didn't worry about anything but itself. Uh, it really, it just did its thing. It knew what it wanted to do. And I felt like everything had its place. Um, a big problem for me with a lot of recent Marvel movies is that they followed so closely to the formula that sometimes things were just happening because they like people felt like they had to happen. Um, so for instance, at, I guess about the quarter of the way through uh, black Panther, there's the scene where he's fighting. Oh, I forgot to say, we're going to spoil things people. So like, if you don't want to be spoiled, um, better hop off now. Sorry. I feel like that's an important caveat. Please continue. All right, so about to drop a huge spoiler. Uh, drop a fighting, spoiler bomb. <laughs> I think it was Mbatu, the um, the guy who challenged him for the th- for the throne. Yeah, the the uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, when he was fighting that guy, I was like, oh, okay. It's like this is that sort of. It felt like it was just a fight that's thrown in so that he can have something, uh, some action in the first quarter of the movie that pushes him into the next act, like. Blah, blah, okay, fine. Um, and I just let it happen, and I let, just you know enjoyed it for what it was. And I thought that was all it was going to be, because for most movies, like most Marvel movies, that's what it would have been. Um, but I was really surprised, and it was really satisfying later on in the movie when Killmonger comes in, and he fights him for the throne, and it ends up being a reversal of that scene. Um, and that you know pushes us into the third act. So that was... I think just a perfect example of how this movie did what it wanted to. It took the parts of the formula that it wanted to, and it made them matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, like, and I, and I, I felt that way too. Like there were, there were parts of this movie as I was watching it that I was like, this is not, this is not a Marvel cinematic universe movie. Like this is not a superhero movie. Uh, Cause it didn't, it didn't feel like that. Like you're, I think that you're absolutely right to, to point out that a lot of recent Marvel movies and really honestly, if we're, if we're thinking about it, most of them, if not all of them follow this, this three act structure of like, you get this introduction, some shit happens in the middle and then you get your third act fight scene. And then you get a couple of, of, uh, of credit or after the movie scenes, whatever mid credit scenes. Yeah. Those are the, words that i'm looking for um, um in, words are hard in thor ragnarok i i liked it and i know that a lot of people really really loved it but i felt like the whole middle act was completely divorced from the first quarter and the last quarter of the movie um and i yeah i felt like that was just a symptom of the fact that like they tried doing something different um but black panther found a way to be different while also being a complete story just fully its own thing Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like I, I think like, like the scenes that you're, you're pointing to at the beginning, like as soon as they, as soon as the movie begins and you, and you hit Wakanda and you get back to Wakanda, there's just like this, this is like this beauty of, of um, like of celebrating Wakanda and of just like, of like of celebrating like, the Africanness of the movie and like celebrating like the tradition and the heritage. Like, and I think that that was one of the things that I, that I loved about this movie because it wasn't so much a movie about, about T'Challa and about Black Panther as a, as a hero within the Marvel cinematic universe. 
And although those those things are coming and they and they have come, like Captain America's Civil War was more about, you know, like T'Challa as a as a hero or as a as a somebody trying to to avenge the death of his father. Uh, and I'm sure Infinity War will definitely be more about like Wakanda as a plot point and like Black Panther as somebody who like helps to fight Thanos and like it'll be situated in this in this bigger universe. But like that's not what this movie was. Like this movie celebrated all of the things about just like about like that make um they just like make that culture and make like tradition and make um like rituals and like and like that there that there are things to hold on to like it was it was all about it was about honor and it was about kingship and it was about like goodness and morality and ethics and it i just yeah i thought it was i thought it was really great to you like yeah, I guess I was talking more structurally, but thematically, sure. the movie was very, very strong. Um, everything that you were saying, uh, and then also, uh, it really used the concept of Wakanda, and I loved, loved that the main villains were Claw, who was South African. Um I thought he was Australian at first, and then when I realized afterwards that he was South African, everything made a lot more sense. Um, <laughs> I, I I had to look that up too. I was like, "What the fuck is Andy Circus doing?" Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then Killmonger, who was an American, uh, African yeah. American. So yeah, seeing those, it was a great. Uh, I'm searching for the right words here. Uh, Wakanda was its own culture and being a part of that culture is very different from the culture of like they were saying being black in America and it's very different from obviously it's very different from that's not the word I meant to say but uh having Claw be a main villain and having him be South African it showed the tension and it sort of made you understand like this is why they hid themselves away and that what i think was the main uh the main thematic plot point throughout the movie but it, it also i think ended up being the main plot throughout the movie it was should they have hidden themselves away and i could see a lot of people agreeing with uh killmonger yeah. i mean despite his means of going about it yeah no absolutely like i think his like that view that i think i i think you're right like, i think the, the the theme of the movie is you know like should wakanda be be this own hidden hidden thing and i think it's the you know it's the age-old marvel question told differently or not even question um the the age-old marvel adage you know with great power comes great responsibility um you know it's the it's the Peter Parker thing. It's like, we have, we have all this vibranium. We have all these resources. We have all this technology. We have all this, um, all these things to teach the world uh, that we've been sitting on. And it's like, is it our responsibility to help other people? And Killmonger's thing is it's your responsibility to help other people like you, not even your responsibility to help all people. It's your responsibility to help, um, to help other, to help other black people, to help other persons of color, to help other um, African-Americans who, who suffer still under the, 
like the regimes of oppression and the history of, of slavery and the history of um, just like marginalization and all of these other issues that, that the black community in America in 2018 struggle with. And, um, and in a lot of ways, you know, like I found, I found it very compelling. Like I was, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure there are people that agree with you that if, if we just killed all the white people, everything would be great. Um, I think that sometimes too. And I'm a white guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, even, even beyond that, if you think about his whole, uh, I mean, his mindset was more, you should be doing something to help. And then he perverted that into yeah. what it was. And obviously either way, he would have been an antagonist. But I think the fact mm-hmm. that you added the killing, I think that was the only thing that really made him truly a villain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that too. And then it's the, I, I kept thinking back to, um, to that question of, of tradition and that question of authority and that question of um, why do these things still matter? Because there's that moment, you know, he challenges, he challenges T'Challa to, uh, you know, to, to combat to, for the, for the kingship. And, and the way that he, the way that he fights and the way that he, he wants to kill T'Challa is not within that tradition and that ritual, but then also he, um, like he burns all of those, all of those plants, all of the, um, like the vibranium lace plant stuff that gives the, the Black Panther its power. And it's, and it's both a like spurning of like T'Challa and like of, of the like the royalty, but it's also like a spurning of I think of like this tradition and like this deep seated uh, connection to um, to something like to something to something of a value to something of, of ritual to like all of these things that we hold on to because this is who we are um, and like that's the thing that's his whole like internal conflict it's like or Killmonger's internal conflict um, it's like I never had all these things because my my father left me in america and your father t'challa killed him um and i want these things but if like if i like if i can't have them or if the world can't then nobody should have them like tradition is only valuable if it's if it's shared or if it's kept kept to if it's if it's strictly adhered to and when when it's not then it's then what is what is the point i guess i don't know mm-hmm. and is it's crazy to think <laughs> how well developed this character is especially when you think about like just to bring it up again thor ragnarok because i a lot of people loved it but i i thought had a lot of problems with it hella she just sort of showed up and she was like i'm gonna take over uh this place and then she was forgotten about for an hour and then everyone came back in the end to fight her for like no reason other than oh she wants to take over like this there was a lot that went into killmonger and making him fully realized and not even just fully realized, but someone who people can really understand and empathize with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, that a lot of Marvel cinematic universe movies have, have suffered from the, from the villain problem. Um, there are not a lot of good villains in, in the Marvel, in the cinematic universe. Now, Mark, the comics, whole other different story. Cause like there's some of the best villains in mainstream comics and Marvel. Um, but yeah, like the, you're, I think you're absolutely like, you're absolutely right. Like all of the, the cinematic universe villains minus like maybe Loki and like arguably sort of Ultron kind of have been like, have been like weak and very one note and very just kind of like, 
not very layered and not very in depth. And like they have their one trope and that's it. But but you're right. Like like uh, like Michael B. Jordan's portrayal of of Killmonger. Like he was he was sympathetic. Like he was somebody that you that you understood. I guess like he wasn't truly he wasn't truly a bit like the best villains are the villains that you think these people could be right um and i definitely i definitely felt that with him in that and way. even in the end in the mid credit scene t'challa ends up sort of adapting parts of his philosophy yeah yeah like he you know like he ends with this the sense that like we have to do something there has to be outreach so you know and not that they're not that we need to kill a bunch of people not that not that genocide is the answer but that that outreach that we have these things there is responsibility we can do things um yeah and like i think i think that's that's really good. like i'm reminded i guess of you know like not that these are in any way similar but like heath ledger's portrayal of the joker like the joker in the dark knight is like a villain that you look at him and you see all the things that he's doing and he's like this crazy anarchist and he never tells He's, he's constantly telling lies about who he is and where he comes from. And he's just like, I want to burn it all down because all of this is ugly and you need to know that all of this is ugly. Uh, and I want to play this game because I have to play this game and we need to play this game. And like, that's sim- like, that is, it's, it's a level of complexity that you kind of agree with that you can kind of say like, yeah, Gotham's corrupt. Nothing good is happening. Um, maybe there's a different way and maybe maybe killing a bunch of people could be it. Like you, you go through that conflict with the villain. And I think that, I think that you, that with Michael B. Jordan, with Killmonger, like you go through that conflict with him. Yeah. Um, so totally agree. Um, how did you, when I watch movies, I tend to, noticed the sound design a lot more uh sound design and score um then i think a lot of people did you sort of notice anything about it uh i usually or, don't or do that it? yeah okay. but okay. with this movie i did um okay. yeah so did you have you listened to the to the album that came out like the kendrick lamar black panther album that that he put out that had a lot of music from from the movie and like that him and a bunch of other um hip-hop artists put together no i haven't okay it's on spotify it's on itunes it came out i think we two weeks ago right before the movie came out it's like it's separate from the soundtrack um and a lot of the music from that made it into scenes of the movie um and that whole album is is gorgeous um and i like i don't i don't listen to a lot of hip-hop music um not because i don't like it just because that's like i was was born and raised in texas i listened to country music my whole life and like just now realize that there's culture outside of uh you know cowboy hats but um and so i like i listen to a lot of different other different things now but like there like that whole album is like there's so much there's so much pathos there and there's so much beauty and so then like there's that and there's all the music like the actual score of the movie that is very um i guess like 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 African is the only way to describe it. Like it's very, there were points that I was watching the movie. Um, have you watched, a, have you watched a lot of foreign films, Nick? Or like films like not from the U S yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so I watched a couple weeks ago, um, a handful of, of, of Bollywood films with one of my friends. And I kept thinking, and like parts of the score and not that I'm not trying to equate like, like India and Africa together and say that they're the same thing, but like the, 
Cause that's horrible. That's culture appropriation. That's bad. Um, but like the, like the kind of music that's in Bollywood films and is kind of like this, like this very um, like religious sort of like, it's, it's not anything that you would hear in America. And so like, like listening to the, like to the black Panther score and like listening to the music that like underscored most of the, like definitely like the scenes of Wakanda. Like that's what I was thinking of while I was, uh, while I was watching those scenes. And then like it transitions to like scenes that are not in Wakanda and the music changes to music that could be in any other Marvel cinematic universe movie. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I, so the thing that I liked the most, I mean, I have a really complicated history with music. Um, (laughs) I was very, very into music Um, in high school and like early college. I uh, was very involved in the percussion program at my school. So like percussion is always like a big thing for me. Um, But I, I, and I was in like a local indie band for a while. Um, But yeah, I sort of haven't, I don't really make a point to listen to music anymore as of the last few years. Um, Oh, interesting. But uh, I always, I always have the vestigial remains of that time in my life. So um, yeah, I, I loved, loved this soundtrack. Um, Again, there was a lot of percussion and that was great. And uh, like you said, a lot of uh, African, uh, African inspired uh, things. And I loved how during parts, uh, like a lot of the T'Challa parts and a lot of the stuff uh, that was more ritualistic, uh, they would use that more, uh, more traditional percussive beats. And then there was a point where Killmonger was coming in and he was the new king and they had something, it sounded like the beat from a modern rap song, but it was, mm-hmm. uh, it also had enough in common with the African like traditional beats from before that there was a really clear connection between the two. And that just like sort of blew my mind. I loved it. <laughs> and they, yeah, they did just little things like that throughout the entire movie that were just brilliant. <laughs> and that was, that was with the score, but then the sound design itself, um, like there were during the fight scenes, there were so many just great moments where, you know, like certain parts of the track or certain tracks would cut out. And then uh, like all you'd hear is like the glass shattering on a screen or something. Uh, just, I loved it. I loved all of, all the sound work in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny that I, like I was watching this and, and I kept noticing like the, the little details uh, like that. And maybe it's because I knew I had to record this podcast afterward, but yeah, like there's, there's all those little sound moments that it's like, this is, this is gorgeous. And like, I definitely, I definitely need to see the movie again because I need to go back and see a lot of those things, but there's a lot of just like, like subtleties and a lot of uh, just like, just like beauty, like the, the cinematography stuff in this movie, like the, the extra stuff is, is gorgeous. And like, and I was thinking this as I left the movie too, is like, you know, this was, this was a movie that like had three villains and like, there's some maybe wonky, middle plot stuff that's goes on like there's like some wonky uh like shifts from like plot point to plot point to plot point but like none of that matters because like this is this is this is like shakespearean this is like 
just this is classic this is um this is like a it's it's similar to like to like what wonder woman did it's like this is a movie that is going to be timeless and it's both it is both like timely because it's like it's making up for like the, the last however many years of like not having a um like a a mainstream movie for 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 black audiences and also like telling and using all these tropes that like stories have been using for forever. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even talked about the, uh, the supporting characters yet. Um, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> I think a great portrait of how great they were was that there was an entire like 15, 20 minutes in the movie where T'Challa was almost dead essentially. And just all the supporting characters were strong enough to completely carry it. And nobody even batted an eye. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Like all of, all of the female characters in, in this movie were amazing and like, just like, like powerful and present. Um, and it's in a way that a lot of other Marvel cinematic universe movies haven't been, because I think that people have, have shat on uh, like most of the female characters in the Marvel cinematic universe. Like the only, the only woman that I can think of at the moment that like has been portrayed I guess like a strong and independent and powerful, like a hero is, is Scarlett Johansson's black widow. Um, because a lot of the other like female supporting casts and the other movies, like their, their love interests or, um, I guess there've been, you know, like hell, like Kate Blanchett, it's hell like as a villain, like Tessa Thompson, it's, um, like Valkyrie, like their exceptions. Um, but there's, there hasn't been a lot of exceptions. Like the kind of blank female slate character has been the norm in this universe so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, yeah, all of them, Shuri, Nakia, Okoye. <laughs> they, were, they were such full characters that I actually know all of their names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most, like, Marvel's ad characters, I don't even... I mean, like, I know them from the comics, but if there's someone that I don't know, I don't really learn their name because they're, they're not as important. They're not as uh, fully realized. Um, they, all of them maybe not as fully realized as, uh, okay, no, I'm going to change what I just said. Uh, they're as fully realized as Killmonger, even if uh, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see everything that went into them. And in some ways that just makes them even more fascinating because you can tell yeah. that there's so much more there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, no, I think, I think you're right. I think you're getting at, at something um really special about the film is that like we get a lot of backstory and not even backstory we get a lot of world building for wakanda um and like for wakanda as a country and like sure there's less time maybe spent on checking in with those female supporting characters and like uh i don't even think we hear the words dora milaje until uh, until the end of the movie you know like the like all you know sichala's guard but like we know what those characters are and what their role is. Um, we have all this world building for Wakanda world building for these female supporting characters that like, we may not know as much about, about Shuri and about Nakia. Um, Nakia, I think Nakia more so, but like we get like the gravitas of everything that's going on because of the, the work that goes in into building Wakanda. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so a lot of people, I think, have have talked very, very fairly, and probably rightly so, that like Hollywood needs more movies like this. And excuse me, they've kind of pointed to like saying like like Black Panther and Wonder Woman have showed us in the last few years that like Hollywood is is just like ripe with this potential and just needs um, these like mainstream mainstream movies um, with, with women and with um, with persons of color at the lead. Like these people can, can be, can be the leads of, of action movies and mainstream movies. These people can make money. Like Black Panther is going to go on to probably make, probably be in, it's going to be in the top 10, like highest amount of money ever made by a movie worldwide. Like, that's that's crazy to think about um but like it's not crazy because this is the world that we live in um and like i just think i just think that's really beautiful like the experience of this movie and like the experience um that like the way that this movie has taken on and like the amount of people on twitter and the amount of organizations that have like nonprofits that have bought out movie theaters for um for for african american children to like go and be able to experience this movie uh, or like to go and like like the amount of um, like tweets that I've seen of like people saying um, that like yeah I took my I took my grandmother to see I took my my black grandmother to see uh, Black Panther and like and like she loved it because it's like this is the first time that I've seen somebody like me be at the center like people like me be at the center of movies like this and like this is like such a beautiful like cultural touchstone um, that I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah and i guess my my question is where does where does the marvel cinematic universe go from here or where do superhero movies go from here because they can't go back there's no going back from black panther to make a to make a subpar um movie after this you can't do that or you're gonna get ripped to shreds i guess and so like what what is what does the state of the superhero movie look like going forward? So I hope that the lesson Marvel learns is that if you let your creators uh, do what they want, like hire people who have different backgrounds, different experiences from different minorities is where that comes from. Um, Let them tell the stories that they want to tell. And, uh, I just sort of lost my train of thought. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about how a lot of Marvel's movies have seen formulaic um, and they're all trying to be Iron Man. Um, this movie, as we established, it completely breaks free from that. It's It did its own thing. The, story, the creators were able to tell the story that they wanted to tell in the way that they wanted to tell it. And that's so important to making good content. Um so I don't know. I mean, usually the way that trends like this work is if a movie or anything is really, really successful, uh, a lot of things will try to turn that into a formula and try to emulate it. And it'll never be as good as the original thing. So I hope that doesn't happen. That, that would be the wrong lesson to learn. <laughs> the right lesson to learn uh, would be to learn that it was creative freedom that was the important thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. I and we haven't even we haven't even talked about about Ryan Coogler at all. Uh, um, 
the guy who directed the film. Like this is absolutely his film. Like I think this is the first time that I've watched a, not the first time, one of the first times that I've watched a Marvel movie that I'm like, this is the director's film. And I think, I guess like the other, the other instances are maybe, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy. Cause like there's a lot of James Gunn's like dry humor in that maybe sort of Ant-Man. Cause like you could see like the residues of Edgar Wright in that movie. And then like maybe the first Avengers. Cause like Joss Whedon's shitty quips are all over that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were. <laughs> But but definitely this is like this is Ryan Coogler saying it like I think I think you're right like I think creative freedom is the lesson to take from this. So let's do it, Marvel. <laughs> let's do it, Marvel. Uh, well, Nick, you got any any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Uh, I loved it. I'm gonna go see it again, partially because I wanted to see it with my friend, and I had to go early so that we could talk about it today. But I'm really happy <laughs> that I get to see it again. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah, I I loved it. I will totally go see it again. If you haven't gone to see Black Panther already and you listen to this podcast, I'm sorry because we spoiled a bunch of crap. But if you have seen it and you listen to this and you're like, man, that was a good movie, you should totally go see it again because it's totally worth it. Um, well, folks, that's our show. Nick, thanks so much for being on. Where can the peoples find you on the wider internets? So you can find me on Twitter at... N Palmieri writes. That is N P A L M I E R I, and then the word writes. W R I T E S. Nice, nice. And you can find me on Twitter at KB Gregory thirteen. You can find both of us at multiversitycomics.com, where you can check out a number of other podcasts and another number of other fun. Uh, comic related content. Our editor Brian Salvatore. Uh, went to see Black Panther at a press release about two weeks ago. You could check out his review. He also loved it. Um, and yeah, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.